Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. We want you now to turn in your Bible to Luke. Uh, we are in a sermon series here in Advent. That's uh, Advent means coming. It's uh, we recognize Jesus coming. And by the way, we recognize he's coming again. Amen? I mean, Jesus is coming. And uh, so we anticipate that. That's a good bit about what Advent is all about. Not only has he come, he's coming again. So we kind of live between the Advents, right? He has come, he is coming. And so we look forward to that day when uh, we'll meet him in the sky. But having said that, uh, we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And if you'll see there today, it's God is with us through an avenue of grace. We think that's what Mary was. We think that's what we can be. And so in, in, in so much as we talk about Mary this morning, we recognize there's so many things he wants to build into our lives so that we can be an avenue of Christ into our lives today. We are basing this on Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, when he's with us, it typically means he comes on a road. This road leads right through Mary's womb. But this road can lead through you today into your business or into your classroom or into your uh, place of commerce, wherever it might be. The Lord wants to do an extraordinary thing through you. So what we're going to do is to learn about Mary today through the Magnificat. And the Magnificat uh, is going to be found here today in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following. And Caleb's going to read for us. Thank you. Will you please stand in reverence to the Word of God? Luke 1, 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. His Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Um, dear God, I thank you for today and for everyone here. I pray that as we listen to Pastor Matt's sermon that we can understand and absorb it and so that we can go about our lives as witnesses to you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So uh, let's go ahead and get uh, talk to the, the, the part that talks about the Magnificat. I want to tell you where this word Magnificat comes from. Uh, it's the hymn of praise. We just, uh, Caleb just read it. Named after the first word of its first la line in Latin. Uh, so I know we don't have lots of Latin scholars here this morning, but for those of you who do, this will sound familiar. That is Magnificat Anima Mea Dominum, which means my soul magnifies the Lord and that word ma magnificat right there means hmm, magnify. And that's what Mary suggested is going to be happening through her life, uh, not just in this moment of poetry, but her life. What has happened is this. She's probably about 13 or 14 years of age when this is uttered. And that's because in the day of Jesus, typically at 13 you were betrothed and 14 or 15 you were married. Having said that, we recognize that this is a very young girl that's probably articulating this great Magnificat. And then we recognize that being so young that she must have been some kind of extraordinary 
to articulate this kind of poetry. This is not the stuff of 13-year-old girls. I mean, you got to admit, that's some pretty incredible stuff. That's why we think we can learn some lessons even from the overarching view of the Magnificat. Number one, she probably was a great listener. Now, this is what I mean by listener. It means that uh, while she was probably illiterate, she could listen well and she could articulate well as she internalized these lessons. She probably heard this from her parents, and I'm going to suggest to you, not the Magnificat so much as Hannah's song. Uh, sometime th this week, look at 1 Samuel, and it talks about Hannah's song. That is, when Hannah found out she was going to be pregnant, she came forth with a song not unlike this one. I think Mary probably heard this song from the back of the synagogue. You see, the men sat up in the front, uh, the women sat in the back, and the, the children. And she would have heard this in the synagogue. She probably would have heard it from time to time in the temple. And she probably would have heard Hannah's song from time to time as it was uttered from her lips. Maybe Hannah was uh, one of the favorites of uh, Mary's mother. And she was always articulating it. But what happens here is Mary hears it. And then she perhaps memorizes it or internalizes it. And as she's internalizing it, she then could articulate this incredible Magnificat based on Hannah's song and she could do it in such a way as I see God moving in history, and now he's moving in me. She was the Christ bearer of this moment. But here's the incredible thing. You are the Christ bearer now for this moment. And Christ wants to fill you so that you can go in, again, to whatever room you walk into this week, and you can be his witness. And you can bring forth Christ from your life and from your very being so that that situation might be changed. And so she could listen well, she could internalize, and she could articulate God's movement across history. There are five aspects of this Magnificat I'd like to suggest to you this morning. The first one is this. Mary's life was rooted in the past. Now, you see that here. At the very end of this Magnificat, it says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So she recognizes that some serious things had gone on in her life. She knows she's got God in her womb. Uh, that must blow her mind. But she also recognized this same God that is in her womb has been operating throughout human history. And starting, not, not just starting, but in a particular way to start the nation of Israel with Abraham. And she recognizes what's happened to Abraham. She recognized what's happened throughout human history. And now it's brought her to this moment. Christ is in me. The Son of God is in me, and now he's coming to the world in a fresh way, and I get to play a bit of a role here. But folks, I want to re-articulate this. You get to play a similar role this week. She was Christ-bearer, but you can be Christ-bearer this week. And so inasmuch as you see meaning in Mary, you need to see this meaning. She saw Jesus at work down through human history, and that has brought her to this moment. And you need to know, God has been working in biblical history. In fact, he's been working in your family history, in your personal history, to bring you to this moment that you might bring Christ into the world in a special way this week. Boy, if you can get a load of that, if you can know God has been active in your past. I, uh, my dad one day came home. Uh, he went to the University of Kansas for college, and so... He was a big Jayhawk fan. Because he was a Jayhawk fan, that means the whole family kind of grew up being Jayhawk fans. 
And I love the basketball team, the football team. I mean, the football team always lost, and they still lose, but hey, go Jayhawks, you know. And the basketball team's a lot better. I was over at Miss Joyce's house last night watching a basketball team. Go Jayhawks. They're a lot better at basketball, but still, on the whole, uh, they've got a really spotty history. But it doesn't matter. It's your team. Go Jayhawks. And so I went there. My, my brothers went there to school, and, and so we've got a long history uh, at the University of Kansas. But when I was growing up, and I kind of forget, I, I cannot dredge up when it was, 7th, 8th, ninth, or 10th grade, some four-year. Uh, my, uh, my dad came home and said, hey, Matt, would you like to go with me to watch the Jayhawks play Iowa State in basketball. Oh, are you kidding? We're going to go into the great Allen Fieldhouse, <laughs> the, the house that Wilt built? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'd love to go. So we got on a bus, and a bunch of his friends were on this bus, and we went to university. I'd never been there before. I always rooted for him, but never been there before. We got to Lawrence, Kansas, and the bus driver said, you may depart and stretch your legs. And so I, I got out of that bus. Now, I don't, not everybody thinks like I think on these things. But I got out of that bus, and the minute I landed, I started thinking this thought. I wonder if uh, Wilt Chamberlain, he was a Kansas guy. I wonder if Wilt Chamberlain walked here. I start walking around, and I start thinking, I wonder if Gail Sayers, like if his footprint ever, ever landed like right here. And the great Al Order, that's my, I, I threw the discus for the track and field team for Kansas. Uh, Al Order won four Olympic gold medals and the first one was when he was a sophomore at the University of Kansas. And I thought, do you think the sophomore Al Order might have been walking somewhere around here? And I just thought, I'm walking on the place of greatness, of greatness. And that past actually informed my future. Because of that past, I knew I was headed somewhere. In fact, I was headed to that very place to walk on that very ground of that very student body building. I was going to go to the University of Kansas because of my past. My past read into my future. My past read into my life. And Mary's saying the same thing. Hey, this God that has called me into amazing privilege in this moment, he's been active all along. Before I was born, he was active. Folks, it's the same way. He's been active for a long time for this moment in your life. Don't blow the moment. He wants you to bear him into your world right here, right now. Don't waste the moment. So the first thing here is, Mary had a life that was rooted in the past. The second thing is this, Mary's life was rooted in the future. Now you, you hear us talk about this all the time. It's one of my favorite theological points. We are who we are because of our future. And they're thinking, how, how can that even be possible? We haven't had the future yet. Yeah, it doesn't matter. All I know this, when he called Abram, he says, based on a future, I need for you to act appropriately now. I'm calling you away from your family because I want to make of you a great nation in the future. And from that nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abram, leave because I got a great future for you. Well, that, that takes some faith, because he had a pretty good present. He was a rich guy. He, he was settled. He had an inheritance. And the Lord says, say it all goodbye. I got something even better for you. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, whoa, better? How could it be better than being a rich guy with an inheritance, settled in, and everything's happy? He says, no, I got a greater happiness for you. I've got purpose and meaning for your life. Leave. Now, he says the same sort of thing to the disciples. Hey, follow me. I will make you something extraordinary. 
follow me. I've got something out there in the future that's going to be great for you. So I believe two things. Mary was who she was because of her past and she knew it. Mary was who she was because of her future. Because she says this, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I've got an incredible thing in my future. People who don't know me are going to remember me because of this Jesus. I uh, remember that disc store I'm talking about. When I was a senior in college or something, we all of a sudden got turned on about psychologists. So we got all sports psychology. We had a guy that wanted to use us for a test case for sports psychology. And so we, we asked him in. And so he says, okay, I want you to lay down here on this couch. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to start visualizing stuff. And one of the things he'd do, he'd say, take us to a place in our mind. And then he'd say, now, imagine that you're very loose. Are you all loose? Yeah, yeah, I'm all loose. Now I want you to do the perfect discus spin. So I imagine in my mind I was doing the perfect. Now I want you to stick the ending with your left foot. I want your right arm to come around. And I want you to watch that discus fly towards the Big A championship. Now, let's do another throw. I want you to spin. Are you all relaxed? Yes, sir. Throw and watch that discus leave your hand all the way to your making the Olympic team, to your winning the national championship, to your throwing 200 feet. Do you see it? And all they were doing was this, convincing you of your future. Can you visualize your future? And Mary here is visualizing her future. From generations from now, people are going to look back at this little teenage life and say, wow, what a privilege. That was dangerous, no question about it. I mean, they almost stoned her because she was pregnant, and she said the Holy Spirit did it. Yeah, right. But what happened was Joseph moved in and says, hey, God talked to me too, and I'm marrying her. And so what happened was, through this incredible couple, God comes to rescue the world. These two people are who God uses as an avenue for his grace. He wants to do the same thing. Can you visualize your future right now? How the world might be different? How that son of yours right now who doesn't know Jesus, he's a prodigal out there running around. He's on drugs right now. He's drinking. He has long since said no to Jesus. Can you visualize him because of your prayers, because of your activity in his life, because you're still loving him when he's unlovable? Can you imagine him coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Can you imagine the difference Jesus can make through your life? Can you believe in God's future for you? And Mary says, I can. From now on, generations are going to call me blessed. Why? Because God just decided. I have, no, I, want, I have no idea why he decided to use me in this situation, but here I am. I'm being used. I'm a servant. And there you go. Mary was who she was because of her past. Mary was who she was because of her future. This week, this is my favorite point. Mary was who she was. Mary's life was understood as, I'm a slave. Now, in the King James Version, it says it in a nicer, kind of kinder, gentler way. I kind of like the King James Version here. I'm the Lord's handmaid. Handmaid is sweet. That's just not the word here. The word's doulos. It's the feminine version of doulos, which is slave. Now, you don't, might not like it. You don't have to like it. It's just what it says. 
I am the Lord's slave. And I was out at the prison this week. And uh, I said, you know, this is what Mary said about her life. We've got to say the same thing. I am his slave. You, you can almost tell. Uh, a lot of times I'll say something. These guys say, amen. That's right. Hallelujah. They weren't saying that on this. You need to be his slave. There wasn't a single amen in the crowd. No one wants to be a slave. I ain't going to serve nobody. Yeah? You actually are going to serve somebody. So yesterday this happened. I was, uh, I got on YouTube. I don't know if you've ever been on YouTube or not. But pretty much anything that's happened in the past, you're going to be able to find on YouTube one way or another. If a camera was there, they've captured on YouTube. So uh, I, uh, I remember this song by Bob Dylan. Remember Bob Dylan, the worst singer in, in, in American history? I just want to see it. I, I've never actually listened to the whole song. So I'm in there, and Mary's, Mary's in the kitchen doing her cooking stuff, and I just punched it up, and she says, what are you listening to? The worst singer in human history, honey. And he was singing for, um, it was the Emmys, the Oscars, whatever. He was singing for a Hollywood crowd because it showed them. It panned the crowd, and you could see all these Hollywooders. And they were loving it. This is great Bob Dylan. And, and Dylan gets behind the microphone. He has a big band with him. And he starts singing this song. It's a classic song. Because Bob Dylan, as pagan as he's been his whole life, for a short period of time, he was a Christian. And he wrote an album while he was a Christian. And he wrote what I think is one of the great songs. I think it's his best song. Now, he's a terrible singer. It's so, let me tell you, his voice is so bad, it compels you to listen to it again. I mean, I played it again. Mary says, you listen to it again? I said, honey, I can't help myself. Just do it. YouTube. you got to serve somebody. Bob Dylan, you're going to think, that's terrible. It is terrible. But it's an incredible song. He, he got a, what was it, Nobel Prize or something? A Pulitzer. He got a prize, big time prize. Because, what was it? A Nobel Prize for being a great poet. So I want to share some of the poetry with you. Can I? Uh, you may be an ambassador of England or of France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You've got to admit, that's pretty good. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You're turned on right now. You can't wait for the next line, can you? You want more, don't you? Gary, you want more, don't you? Okay, here we go. You might be a rock and roll addict, prancing on the stage, money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You might be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you a doctor or they might call you a thief, but you're going to serve somebody. By the way, uh, Preston, you're thinking right now, why do I have to keep announcing that pastor's got his notes in there? This is the reason why. They're going to want these lyrics. This is the reason, okay? You might be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You might be the head of some big TV network. <laughs> That's good poetry, isn't it, Gary? <laughs> you might be rich or poor. You might be blind or lame. Maybe living in another country under another name, but you're going to serve somebody, all right? Don't be tired of it yet. I'm not done. Might like to wear cotton. Might like to wear silk. Might like to drink whiskey. Might like to drink milk. Might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. Maybe sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed. Well, you're going to serve somebody. One more. This is where the poetry really gets deep. When I read this to you, you're going to think, now I know why I won the Nobel Prize. Here we go. You may call me Terry, 
You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby, or you may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ, or you may call me Ray. You can call me anything, no matter what you say, but you're going to serve somebody. Yep, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. So I said to those guys out of the prison, hey guys, you are a slave today. It's not whether you're going to be a slave, it's you are a slave who are you serving? Now, I don't think it's that, by the way, I think Dylan had it wrong. Bad theology. I don't think he's right. I don't think it's the devil or the Lord. I think it's you or the Lord. You might serve yourself or you might serve Jesus, but you're going to serve somebody. Who is it? Then I ask him this. I ask you the same thing today. Who here has a better plan for your life than God? Who's the idiot that'd like to raise your hand right now? Go ahead. Who here has a better plan for your life than God has? And I, they all agreed, no, God has a better plan. I say, oh, yeah, everybody's right. God has a better plan than you, yeah. How about that pornography you looked at today? In that moment, in that moment, you know exactly what God would say about that pornography. But in that moment, you said, yeah, but I got a better plan for my life right now than God does. I think I'm going to watch it anyway. Or how about this? Um, you, got some, uh, you got some marijuana in in between your thumb and forefinger. In that moment, you know this is not God's plan for your life. You say, yeah, but I don't really care. I got a better plan than he's got. Drugs, alcohol, porn, lying, stealing, or whatever thing you struggle with. And the whole point is, Mary could say in this moment, I am his slave. I am his doulos. I am his bond slave. I am his handmaiden. Any way you want to articulate it, I do not have a plan for my life anymore. God, that's my plan. And in this moment, she says, that's where I'm going. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be all about. Number four is this. Mary understood holiness in terms of both might and mercy. Look there. Uh, it says in verse 49, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. I call this a holiness sandwich. Holiness is the meat. Uh, the top piece of bread is mighty, might, and the bottom piece of the bread is mercy. So holiness is described here in terms of he is both Mighty, he's powerful, he's strong, but he's also merciful and loving and caring. And that's the kind of God, Mary says, I serve. Now, the truth is, this whole might thing means I respect him. And listen, my dad, my dad was uh, six foot four, 275 pounds. I never tested him much on the theory of if you don't do something right here, Matt, I've got a hand and you've got a little tail end and those two things are going to meet and become well acquainted. I didn't test him much on that because I, <laughs> I didn't have to wonder what that would feel like. I just said, all right, you are mighty, you are strong, you are bigger. I'm going with your plan, Dad. But my dad was also merciful. That when I did do something wrong, we could talk it through. He could talk. I remember the day. <laughs> I remember the day when Mom... I was a junior in high school. 
and mom pulled out a uh, sheet of paper out of my blue jeans. And the sheet of paper had on it a, uh, a bunch of games. And uh, me and a buddy named Pat, we, uh, we went around the school. We went to teachers, for crying out loud. We went to teachers. We went to students. We had the whole school involved in our gambling ring. We were gambling. I said, hey, what game are you taking? And uh, they would take, yeah, I'll put $2 there. I'll put $5 there. And my mom uh, pulled out my bookie sheet. She looked at it, and she did something that I, uh, I really wish she hadn't done. She handed it to that six-foot-four guy. And I thought, my life is over. My life has ended. I'm dead. And Dad says, come here, son, sit down. Yes, sir. I never said yes, sir, in my life. I'm a Yankee. We don't say yes, sir, yes, sir. I said it then. I knew enough to say, someday I'll be Southern, and this is the thing you say, yes, sir. He said, uh, you know, we've had relatives that nearly gambled their life away. And I don't want you to do it anymore. Do you understand me? That southern thing. Yes, sir. That was it. We only had about three heart-to-heart -heart talks. That was one of them. He was very merciful in the moment. That's your God. Your God is a God of might, of power, and strength. He's also the God of kindness and love and affection. And furthermore, he says, that is what my holiness is like. That's what I want your holiness to be like. I'm going to send you out in situations, even this week, where you need to be strong. You need to have backbone. You need to have power. But you also need to be kind and loving and merciful and affectionate. If you can put those things together, then I've got you where I want you. You are my slave. You're acting exactly the way I have planned for you to act. And Mary says, this is God, and that's his people, and this is how we're going to act. And from generation to generation, they're going to call us blessed because we acted precisely how he wanted us to act. This holiness sandwich is for you, it's for me, it's for the people of Dayspring. The fifth point is this. Mary's life stance was contra mundum. I'm going to teach you a little Latin this morning. Contra mundum. Say it with me. Contra mundum. Contra mundum means against the world. Have you, have you seen this? Look at this passage here. Uh, go down to verse 51. And by the way, Russell Moore this week. Russell Moore's a very prominent Southern Baptist. He comes from Mississippi. He now is the, probably the leading voice in the whole Southern Baptist church. Russell Moore this week called these passages a war song. He said, little sweet 13-year-old betrothed girl, this is a war song. Get a load of this. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. This God, he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. This God, he has brought down, he has thrown down rulers from their thrones. And, and get a little of this now. He has exalted those who were humble. This God, he has filled the hunger with good things. But get a load of this. He has sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. This is a... War song. God is tearing down everything that is not him. And he's lifting up everything that is him. And the final chapter of human history will say, God did it. Remember Advent? Advent is he came? Yeah. But he's coming again. 
And when he comes again, this is precisely what's going to happen. Everything that is not Jesus gets thrown down. Everything that is Jesus gets lifted up. He wants to do some of that this week in your life. He does. Mostly he wants to do it in you. Everything that's not Jesus needs to be thrown down. Everything that is his, his love and his mercy, his kindness, even his might, needs to be lifted up in your heart so that you can be all that he wants you to be. I'm, a, I'm interested in the name Mary. I'm just fascinated about words. Can you tell? Say this word after me. Contramundum. I love words. Let me teach you another one. It's not just contramundum. I've got a hero. Uh, if I thought, who's one guy that I really have looked up to across the years? It'd be Chuck Colson. Uh, Chuck Colson went to jail for Watergate, so he's into politics. I'm kind of into politics. I like that. So he's into politics. Uh, he was very much a conservative. I'm, I'm pretty much a conservative. Um, then he got in trouble. And I've gotten in trouble. Then he got thrown in jail. Well, I, I, they didn't throw me in. I, I go there occasionally, so I like jail. Uh, then he got saved. And I've been saved. Then he started speaking out for Jesus and writing for Jesus. He has argued, he, he went to Brown University, graduated, and became a great lawyer and argued courses at the Supreme Court. That's how good he was. But he used that brilliant mind and articulation now for the Lord. And I thought, and then he, 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 he said, the rest of my life, I want to be involved in prison ministry. I thought, man, I love this guy. And so, in many ways, I'd say Chuck Colson's my hero. He had a motto. He loved contra mundum, against the world. Because he remembered someone in, Bibli uh, excuse me, in, in Christian history named Athanasius. Athanasius is trying to articulate orthodoxy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, said Athanasius. There are three persons. There's one God. This Jesus was fully God and fully human. These are the big arguments of the early church. And someone came up to Athanasius one day and says, Athanasius, you're gonna, you just need to change your mind on this stuff. I mean, the whole world's against you. And Athanasius said, if the whole world is against Athanasius, then it's Athanasius contra mundum. It's Athanasius against the world. If the whole world's against me when it comes to biblical truth, the whole world's wrong. And I know I'm right because I've got a biblical faith. So he was Athanasius Contramundum. And so Chuck Colson said, oh, we love that. We love Contramundum. And, and Chuck Colson said, Contramundum. And then someone came up to him one day and said, Chuck, dude, John, Richard John Newhouse, was, he's a Catholic guy. He says, uh, yeah, we're Contramundum, but we're Contramundum pro-mundum. And Colson said, run that past me again. He says, Contramundum means we're against the world, but pro-mundum means we're for the world because there's lost people in the world. There's folks that are degenerate in the world. There's folks that are in prison in the world, and we need to get to them. We need to be against the world because the world's tearing them down, but we need to be for the world because there's lost people that need to be saved. You need to be contramundum promundum. So really, for the last couple years of his life, Colson used that phrase, contramundum promundum, and Mary, much the same thing. Mary's willing to say, God's going to tear everything down that's not him, contramundum, so that he can lift everything up that is him. He is promundum. Contramundum, promundum. Let me get back to words. Mary. I looked up Mary the other day. 
really couldn't believe it, what I found. Mary means rebellion. I, I, I said that, and then a, a professor kind of corrected me. And he says, well, not really. It comes from the Egyptian, means beloved. Now, that sounds better. You talk about my wife, oh, beloved Friedemann. We talk about Maria Hardeman, oh, beloved one. That sounds sweeter, doesn't it? Sounds kinder, sounds gentler. Here's what I read this weekend, however. The Hebrews wouldn't have had probably any understanding about Egyptian. Sorry, man, you feeling good about this right now? Rebellious one. So, yeah, yeah, husband's saying, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you can talk to him later. And I, my, by the way, I'm open for marriage counseling if you guys need it after the sermon. But no, 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 seriously, yeah. Uh, rebellion. Now, he says, he says, but the Egyptian beloved, yeah, he said, but they, most of them wouldn't have had any idea. They would have understood Mara, however, and Mara comes, uh, the name comes to us as bitter, rebellion, pushing back. I'm thinking to myself, I kind of like this. Yeah, Mary's a beloved one, but she's also part of the rebellion. What has happened? <laughs> the Roman Empire. Herod. Now, you know what's going to happen with Herod. Herod wants babies dead. If I can get this Christ child, I can nip it in the bud, he goes in and murders babies. That's the kind of world that Jesus comes into. A murdering, lying, contentious, thieving culture. And he says, hey, I'm leading the rebellion. And Mary says, and I'm on his side. We're rebelling against this thuggery that is the Roman Empire. And against all sin all across the world. We are in rebellion. So folks, my prayer for you, even this week, is simply this. That you would join the rebellion. Yeah, you'd be the beloved of God who joins the rebellion to with him tear down everything that's not Jesus and to lift up everything that is Jesus starting in your own life and recognizing that yes, I can be holy as he is holy as I will allow him to transform me, to make me, and to mold me. Do you believe Jesus wants to do that in your life? I'm asking you. Do you believe Jesus wants to do that in your life? He wants to transform you, make you, mold you to rebel against everything that's not Jesus and to be his beloved. Could you please stand, Lord Jesus, all around this room? There are folks that this week want to respond to this message. They want to be the Christ bearer in the rooms that you take them. They want to be the Christ bearers out there on the road, on the interstate. They want to be the Christ bearers in that troubling relationship that they're in right now with their husband or with their wife or with that boyfriend or girlfriend or, or with that son or daughter that's a prodigal today. Jesus, they want to be your Christ bearer. But they know that has implications. And the implications are simply these. They want to be rooted in the past. They want to be rooted in the future. They do not want to run their own lives anymore. They want to be your slave. They want to be a people of holiness of both might and mercy. And they want to be contramundum, pro-mundum. They want to join the rebellion. So Jesus is all around this room right now. There's some people making decisions right now that says, I want to be on the Lord's side. He's got a better plan for my life than I have for myself. But his plan is going to be to have impact 
on a sinful, lost, even a degenerate world, Jesus, move us out to our community, even this week, for your kingdom, for your glory. We want to bear Christ like Mary bore Christ. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.